When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. REMAX agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated. And we're back with an all-new episode of Keep It. I'm Ira Madison III, allegedly. And I'm, for real, Louis Fertel. And I have good progressive news today, which we don't often get, you know, most days. Here's what it is. Did you know that Beyonce's longest-running hit on the Hot 100 is now Cuff It? Thank God. Taking the throne away from, do you know what song? Halo. It is Halo, yes. Which, thank fucking God. I hate that song. The streak is over. No, thank I, <laughs> Halo to me feels like it could be a Trisha Yearwood song. No offense to Queen T. <laughs> Listen, it was Ryan Tedder in his bag. And and I don't mean it in the good way. I mean it was it was Ryan Tedder digging through his capacious bag, <laughs> looking looking up the, the oh. Here's this Kelly Clarkson song that I did, already gone. Let, let's let's make the same thing. Right. I remember I don't know if there's like a whole bunch of writers on that song, right? One mm. of them was on the long forgotten Cara Diaguardi Bravo show Platinum Hit. And yes. the songwriter goes to the contestants, Halo, we wrote in 10 minutes. And I said, I don't think you should admit that because it kind of sounds <laughs> like it. <laughs> She's just uh, wailing the word Halo 50 times. <laughs> so there was discussion of this online and stay on Twitter. And I feel like every Beyonce fan is happy that Halo has been, you know, dethroned. Right. Uh, and it doesn't mean that Cuff It is her biggest hit. It just means her longest running hit on the charts. Um, but man, she so she she closed out um, the formation tour with Halo. Yeah. And whenever um, you're like, where's the parking lot? I'm gonna get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, whenever people in New York are always lamenting the fact that it's so hard to get out of the MetLife Stadium in New Jersey, where you know the pop girls perform that. Um, Taylor will be performing there. Gaga performed there recently. They're always like, it's a nightmare to get out. I said, baby, I saw the Formation tour there. As soon as Halo started. I was on that train. Flojo is <laughs> flying up the exit. I lost three nails, okay? <laughs> um, and also, it's just, it's nice to have, like, an extra bit of vindication for Renaissance, which the more and more I think about it, man, we really did give album of the year to Harry's House. Again, a finish album, but not a moment in time I need to see every time I go to the Grammy Wikipedia. That also reminds me of a statement that um, someone made on Twitter once that was, um, you're not a real fan of an artist unless you also have a song of theirs that you hate, that you think is like the worst song they've ever made, one of the worst songs ever made. Oh, yeah. Uh, Halo, and then also Single Ladies. Literally this weekend when I was in Vegas um, seeing Taylor Swift, and we will get to that later um 
We're at, uh, you know, notable gay club Piranha. Oh, yes. I'm very familiar. Yeah. I love standing on, uh, a, <laughs> on a mezzanine watching someone fly into the splits below. <laughs> uh, this, this weekend, it was Kylie Sonique Love. Oh, who was certainly jumping into a split. <laughs> yes. Um, but my friend Drew and I were there. And truly, the, you know, first of all, Piranha has multiple rooms. Mm-hmm. It's like Clue. <laughs> Appealing uh, to me right from the start. <laughs> I bet sometimes Leslie Ann Warren is just there. <laughs> there's the main room. There's the outside patio. There's another outside patio. There's the Latin room. There's the pop room. Anyway, we're in the pop room. The music is fucking great. Yep. All of a sudden, Single Ladies comes on, and we literally look at each other and go, want to get another drink? Yeah, <laughs> right. No, I think, unfortunately, Single Ladies is now a Liza Minnelli song. You know what I mean? It's a different brand. I don't really associate it with Beyonce anymore. So what's your worst Madonna song then? Uh, I mean, Ira, that is one of the most daunting questions you can ask well, a human being. I because mean, listen, part of being a, a Madonna fan is being embarrassed 20% of the time. So you need to know, well, I think the worst Madonna song is off at Madam X, Killers Who Are Partying. When I say oh. the words, each one, a different dry heave rises in my throat. And then I think of the song in which I believe she claims to be Africa. And I've got news for you, she's not. Um, it's a horrifying song. Uh, Off a okay. bewildering album that has two good moments. Yeah, we we sort of... I, I need to go back and listen to what we said about Madame X. Uh, because I feel like we were lost in the sauce a bit. Yeah, I, I think I made it a keep at one time. Because I mm. remember it... It's just a strange album. It's barely pop, which is kind of cool that she would attempt it in some ways. But I think we should do an entire episode just about the worst of every girl. Like, just go full pessimism. Um, yeah. Pick the worst Kylie song, the worst whatever, Pink song. And by the way, Pink is being, I'm being bombarded with her again suddenly. And her aggro gym teacher vibe. <laughs> well, you know, what? she's on a press tour for something. I don't know. Maybe there's a new song. Yeah, there's a few um, of them. There's that Trust Fall song. There's that... Roller skating song where the title is like, never going to not be not ever dancing again, never. She always has a story about some pop girl that she's in a fight with. I love that, yeah. Uh, which, which I love, which I love. Um, but I, I feel like we keep hearing about, like, Christina Aguilera. I want some new ones. Yeah, right, right, right. She couldn't have gotten along that well with Lil' Kim, right? She's right. Not, she's not like a get-along-to-go-along get kind of girl, or the opposite. I don't know what the axiom is. Like, I'm sure she was on the Lady Marmalade set and was like, Kim, uh, 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 uh. And Kim was like, get out of my face. I wish she wouldn't do that. <laughs> the amount of gays who fight to be little Kim when, when, you're, do, when you're singing Lady Marmalade, um, that feels like such a bygone era, by the way. Yeah. You know, like, we're, we're in our mid-30s now. That seems like something we were doing in our late 20s. Uh, everyone taking um, a role in Lady Marmalade when it comes on. Um, and also uh, fan casting the next Lady Marmalade, which I feel like we did every third time we all hung out. And now there's, like, completely new pop girls. Right. No, I remember <laughs> being insistent that Ariana Grande would be a part of this, and now I can't believe I ever thought such a thing. But honestly... In a way, Bang Bang became the new Lady Marmalade. Very much so, yes. That's another fun one where you you uh, propose who is the fourth singer who got cut out in the final edit. I don't know who said it first, but someone suggested Adina Menzel, and that is really funny. <laughs> 
So I also never get tired of people discovering that it is a Jesse J song. Right. Who was once a singer. Correct. Yeah. And now she terrorizes Gotham. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, speaking of terrorists. Yes. This week, I went to Vegas to see Taylor Swift, the Eras Tour. Chairman Taylor. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> so we're going to have a full Eras Tour review this week. Um, then we are also going to jump into the trial of the century. Let me just say about going to the Paltrow about this trial. Be prepared for me to gatekeep crazily because lots of <laughs> wannabes keep jumping on this with their Gwyneth commentary, and some of us have been here. Is all I'm saying. Like, like they heard the words bone broth and they invited themselves to be a part of the conversation. You, excuse me. We've been making turtleneck jokes about her for about 18 years now. Don't be brand new at me about Gwyneth. <laughs> So in addition to all the white women we'll be discussing this <laughs> week, <laughs> we're also joined by the fantastic Jasmine Savoy Brown. And I just want to say I about her obsessed with. I just want to say about her. Last week I complimented her in Scream, and I hadn't even checked the schedule yet, not knowing she was gonna be on this week. So this isn't me just being a sellout for her. I thought she was fabulous in the Scream movie. And now of course <laughs> she's in uh, the new season of Yellow Jackets, which uh, uh the Tori Amos stands are already buzzing in addition to the Yellow Jacket stands. Yeah. Um, so we will be right back with more Keep It. Get ready to be transported back to 1973 New York City with Stift, the new podcast from Cricket Media and iHeartRadio. In this eight-part series, Jennifer Romolini who I absolutely fucking love, uh, so you're going to love this podcast, takes you on a wild ride through the rise and fall of Viva, the erotic magazine for women, started by porn king publisher Bob Guccione that rocked the publishing world. With a team of feminist writers and editors behind it, Viva in its original form had full frontal male nudity, a fashion section run by Anna Wintour, and cover stars like Bianca Jagger and Louis Fertel. But were they doomed to fail from the beginning? Check out the series trailer for Stift right now and don't miss the first two episodes dropping on March 30th. Listen for free on your favorite podcast platform and get ready to listen to a hot new podcast that's all about dicks. Attention, book lovers. Don't miss the opportunity to hear from best-selling author Jodi Pico as she dives into the controversial topic of book banning in schools. I would like to dive into the topic of My Sister's Keeper, which I read in high school. I have a lot of thoughts. But join Hysteria for a special interview where Jodi shares her personal experiences with banned books and exposes the flawed process behind it all. Tune in to learn about the history of banned books and how to support authors who face unfair censorship. And don't wait. Listen to this episode now, and be sure to tune in every Wednesday for new episodes of Hysteria on your favorite podcast platforms. That is the same day Keep It comes out, but you can listen to both. Taylor Swift's Eras Tour kicked off about a week ago in Arizona, uh, but I saw it this weekend in Vegas. And you know all too well. 10-minute version Ugh. that we couldn't go without discussing it on Keep It. Um, I was 
on the scene. Let me just say, I am very shocked, and I don't know why, how many gays from L.A. fled to see the opening moment in Arizona. It, it's like if Basics could have a diaspora. That is what happened. They <laughs> all just, like, moved down the coast into Arizona. Well, I mean, the number one gays who were also there this weekend were Tommy Vitor and John Vavra. Oh, right. Well, Tommy <laughs> likes to pretend he's, you know, listening to the music. He, on the ones and twos. You know, Steve Buscemi and 30 Rock. What's up, fellow kids, etc. Uh, but no, I mean, they were there this past weekend. Um, gays from L.A., gays from New York, I was shocked, were also in town for it. I guess everyone had the idea, let's just see this show in Vegas, which my reasoning for it was, you know, having just moved back to New York permanently. Uh, my best friend Drew lives in L.A. Um, and rather than trying to fight for floor seats in L.A. and New York, we just figured, why not just meet in Vegas and see it? Because right. then we could also do something else that weekend. Right. And also, Vegas is the death of culture, and what better place to see Taylor Swift? So, uh, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm, I won't be that nasty throughout this conversation. I'm sure it was a good concert. Well, it, better, Honestly, it may have been four good concerts based on the run times I'm seeing. Yeah, so three hours. Three hours of Miss Tay. Um... Honestly, the show was kind of cunt. Meaning what? I mean, first of all, let, okay. me, let, me just, let me just talk about the dubiousness I'm coming into this conversation with. <laughs> Era's tour. We all know that every artist putting together a tour is revisiting their past albums. So literally any tour is an Era's tour. And I am just wishing there could have been, you know, a better branding moment here. Other than the gays who are fans of hers are the kind of people who claim to be in their blank era all the time. So actually, it's genius branding and also upsetting. I was actually trying to think about it recently. Um, were we discussing our eras so much before Taylor started branding everything as eras? I know that there's the flop era conversation yeah. that everyone's always having, but I feel like around that time, too, people started saying, like, I'm in my reputation era. Uh huh. You know, when you were like, you... oh, people are talking about me. I've done something a little bad. I made out with someone I wasn't supposed to last night. I'm in my reputation era. I think you've really put your finger on something, which is she really empowers people to believe their boring lives have significant moments in them. I think that's what it is. <laughs> well, <laughs> then she's the um, Bravo of pop star. There we, I, you said it. Well, speaking of it from a branding point of view, she's always ingenious with that. She's our number one capitalist pop star. <laughs> uh, and it makes sense that she launched the Eras Tour, which, you know, when an artist does a tour, you expect them to play old hits and mix them in with new. Right. But the branding of this is the Eras Tour meant specifically it went era by era. So it opened up with Lover. Okay. Um, which was very fun. Um, Interesting although, to open with because it feels like a kind of low-key moment in her catalog. Yeah, she opens up with like Miss Americana and the Heartbreak Prince. Um, Can you I just know, say, we, imagine calling a song Miss Americana and the Heartbreak Prince. I mean, just okay, <laughs> good for Taylor fans. Have fun. It is a little bit like, I don't know, AI word soup. I don't know. She can't be in her flaming lips bag. All right, all right. <laughs> Yoshimi was battling the pink robots, Lewis. No, but see, that's weirder. That's coming to <laughs> Miss Americana. What does that mean? Anyway. Um, 
she did that. She went into Cruel Summer after that. Like, Lover was very fun. Lover was, like, a good way to open the show, I think. Because mostly I feel like that's the last show that people were expecting. Like, Loverfest, which was canceled, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, I will say, the Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas, I don't know whether it was the sound or something, but, like, or, like, the echo of it being closed or something, but, like... I could not hear her for, like, the first couple songs. And it's also because there were just thunderous girls screaming. Oh, I bet. No, I was thinking about this watching this tour. It's not like, you know, Taylor Swift is known for having a huge sound or anything. And, like, there's a reason the Beatles broke up. You know, they couldn't hear themselves performing in these, like, giant stadiums. (laughs) And it's just like, well, what are we even doing anymore? Uh, And based on the amount of people in that room, and it truly looks like, all of these stadiums look like someplace aliens are going to land. Just that, like, a huge, Mm -hmm. you know, it couldn't be bigger, couldn't be crazier, you know, just like a Kafka-esque sense of space and alienation. Um, So I I, I was curious how she would fill that space. Yeah, the the, the screaming was deafening. It was giving Beatles. It was giving One Direction. Right. You know? Um, It was giving me at the Glee tour. (laughs) <laughs> we will get into that with Gwyneth for the record yeah. but once the girl settled down the concert was actually very fun and I will actually say that um, for a three hour show she had so much stamina the entire time and there's so much happening that you're really able to take breaks in a way that you aren't able to at other concerts you know I was running back to get drinks I was getting pizza, particularly during Folklore and Evermore. And as much as I love those albums, they do not translate to stadium at all. Namely, that size of a stadium, right? It really is an intimate, I'm walking through the woods during the pandemic vibe. Right. And so the attempt to sort of translate it to this huge stadium, you know, with set pieces, it was really, it was giving, you know, like a Broadway show that you would take your parents to see. Right. Uh, or like a Broadway show that's really just made for kids. Because uh, we know that like at certain points when she slips into her, um, you know, um, her childlike empress um yes. <laughs> era um what i would call sorry, her mary what, martin vibe yes <laughs> yeah uh her childlike her childlike empress vibes are really just sort of like very twee and very you know a lot of um flora and fauna you know a lot of F- florence and the machine yes. like you know b- big sleeves um people walking around in capes and um hoods um not for me it felt like a lot of extra affectation to make folklore and evermore sort of like bombastic yeah when you know i would prefer like if she did like madonna did with madame x you know like a bunch of shows in a city um you know so that like everyone still gets a chance to see it but it's at a smaller venue or even just do a residency like harry did at madison square garden which is at least smaller than the allegiant stadium you know Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. something like that um it just felt very impersonal for such a personal album that connected with me so much during the pandemic, like when we're locked down in our house, like to then see it like that felt very weird. So I, f- I took my breaks. I feel like intimacy, especially with her fans that she's obs- obsessed with, quote unquote, protecting, ro- eyes roll, mm-hmm. um, is important to her. So I do think you will get that tour or that yeah. version of those albums. But 
on the other side, Reputation, 1989, Red, yeah, big, big sounds, yeah. Mm-hmm. Big sounds, big moments, fucking amazing. And also, I mean, repu- the, Reputation, the I love sounds, them. yeah, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Reputation, I love that that tour. That was the first time I'd ever seen Taylor. Um, I saw her in L.A. during that tour, and I really enjoyed the Reputation tour. But that was also during that era where she was leading into, this is my Reputation era. I'm bad, Taylor. You know, uh, everyone hates me. I'm a snake. All the liars are calling me one. Like, she just seemed pressed. Definitely, uh, yes. Well, dressed sort of like Olivia Newton-John at the end of Greece. Yes. <laughs> but the one plus side about seeing the reputation um, segment of this show was the fact that she was so fucking relaxed now. Like, she's not pressed. This, If I can say one big net positive about the Eras tour, it's basically that Taylor has nothing to prove anymore. Right. I know also all the footage I see from this tour, which is I believe most of the tour. Like we we photographed the tour gaze on Instagram. <laughs> I saw it. Um no, it seems very relaxed but not lazy. My god, she's like moving around that giant diamond stage and uh yeah. finding like intimate moments with everybody in the audience and uh it just seems really well conceived and it doesn't feel like they spent that long putting this tour together either. So I'm kind of bewildered by how good it is. Yeah, it's really Taylor at her best, to be honest. And I think that her problem has always been that she cares too fucking much. Yeah. What people think about her Mm -hmm. uh, and cares too much what the industry thinks about her. And now that she broke all these fucking records with Midnight's, um, you know, like had this huge quote unquote comeback, you know, whatever. And then like did so well with Folklore and Evermore as well um, over the past couple years, like. I think she's happy. Maybe it's being post-Scooter Braun and all that shit, but, like, I didn't feel stressed out watching her. I feel no stress coming from her anymore. She was just having a good fucking time. And Reputation was fun to watch. And um, Midnight, an album which I famously don't love as much. I prefer the 3 a.m. Um, song. Editions, that, yeah. Uh, yeah, the, those that get added on at the end. That's what I said, like, the, the show was kind of cut. I mean, like, mm. the Vigilante shit song, which I think is, like, so cloying and annoying when I first heard it on the album. She was really just sort of like, how do I make this hot? And the dancers were doing, like, they had, like, chairs. It was giving Cabaret, mm. Nine, Chicago. Like, there was pussy popping on stage. I was going to say, this is basically our YouTube playlist, so. <laughs> there was pussy popping on stage, and the fact that the Midnight segment was the last segment of the show, too. It was just even amazing that she still had that much stamina and energy like at the end of this long-ass three-hour show. Because there are 44 songs played. Yeah. No, I haven't um, memorized this playlist. I have questions about whether she played my favorite songs. Number one, the song Fearless. Yes. She did. Because I think that is one of her strongest showings. First of all, it's just like a brief, lovely pop song. But two, I I just think she like gets the ebullience of being into a guy really well. And that's sort of something she's shied away from in this, you know, in the past, whatever, eight or nine years. It feels like, one, to me, she's always talking about the same relationship. But two, it's about, like, you wronged me and now we're in this standoff. And, you know, she's just obsessed with the drama of a relationship as opposed to the bliss of it. And I miss how she used to express that in a pop song, which I think was best exemplified on the song Fearless and the album Fearless. Right. I mean, listen, I first discovered Taylor really sort of like casually with You Belong With Me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Not and then a favorite like, of I, hers for me. Anyway, go ahead. 
Yeah, I mean, it was the first one I heard, yeah. so I was like, okay, this is cute. It's cute, you know. Um, and then Red came along, and I liked a lot of those songs, but it was really hearing like that song "Begin Again" at the mm. end. We're like hearing her talk about like past mistakes in love and like being hopeful for the future. I was like, when she gets into her, you know, sort of like really sort of melancholy relationship bag, like I love that version of her. And I feel like she did shy away from it a bit because she was, you know, just tired of people constantly talking about her and her relationships and the men that she was with, et cetera. Right. And now she's got a man, you know? Um, he, he's tucked away at a castle somewhere, and sometimes <laughs> he escapes to do a Claire Denis film. Uh, <laughs> Which is an ideal way to live. Um, <laughs> um, did she do clean? She did not do clean. Mm, I think that would have gone over well in a stadium, that really crisp, um, yeah. sad vibe. Uh, what else yeah, would I pick? I have, I have some notes. She didn't do Out of the Woods. What? Now that's in my top five. Yeah, that, that was rude as hell. Uh, <laughs> she, she also didn't do, I mean, I didn't expect Call It What You Want mm-hmm. for our reputation, but, you know, because, like, there's a lot of songs of reputation that are great that she could have done. That's my favorite album. But, yeah, Out of the Woods was glaring. That is very surprising. I assume she did most of Midnight's then. Yes, she did. Um, she did Lavender Haze, Antihero, Midnight Rain, Vigilante, Bejeweled, Mastermind. Shocked she didn't mastermind. Uh, and Karma was the final song. Hmm. And, and you liked it better uh, as part of this set? Because I believe we dragged Karma up, down, back, and diagonally last time. Karma's sort of big and fun. Um, you know, her dancers are also sort of like relatable looking dancers. That's not not trying to shade them. Yeah. But, you know, it's she's, she's not a pop star with um, hot shirtless men dancing around her to turn on like the gays and the, you know, the women yeah. in the audience, you know, it's it's very much um, inclusive. <laughs> you know, she's dancing with the kids from Zoom. <laughs> Boston, Mass. O two one three four. I forget what the Zoom zip code is, but anyway. <laughs> um, uh, which, by the way, shout out to when I saw Jesse Ware last. She did give us like very naughty, sexy dancers, and I know that it's a disco album. You'd sort of expect that, but I did not expect mm. the level of sexuality we got from that. So, just if I forgot to shout out Jesse Ware. Uh, yeah, she, I mean, she was giving a sexy mom too, you know. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. Jesse Ware was giving like, I'm I like I listen. I can go. Uh, I'm picking up my kids from soccer, and then <laughs> I'm going straight to the stage, and I'm still sexy. <laughs> okay. Also, my question about Taylor Swift for a three hour show. I, I this is look. I'm a Madonna fan. I obviously don't have a problem with this. Did you get the sense that she lip synced? You know, half the songs. I could say that maybe she lip synced some of the songs, um, but there are moments where she is obviously like giving you real vocals. Mm-hmm. So um, I didn't mind it. Uh, she gave us "Snow on the Beach" acoustic on the piano, and that is sort of what I was missing from the folklore and Evermore parts. Um, also, the other point when um, the girls were screaming was she does a surprise song every show, and this one was um, Cop our song. Oh, our song. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine she just threw it down. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, iced tea. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, speaking of that, it was very funny when she did do Snow on the Beach. She was because she was talking to praising Lana and praising Lana's new album, which I fucking love. Um, by the way, and not just because of the line, hands on your knees, I'm Angelina Jolie. Um, 
she she had to keep reassuring people. She was like, guys, I'm just praising her and about to do this song. She's not coming out. Uh, wow, I love that. Just nipping it immediately. Don't get it twisted. She's not here. <laughs> I assume there will be a moment on this tour where she brings out somebody. On the Reputation tour, when I saw it, I believe she brought out Selena Gomez and Troy Sivan. That was pretty inspired. Yeah, I got Sean Mendez. Oh, he did come my, out. Yeah. I mean, he didn't come <laughs> yeah. out. Damn it, Lewis. <laughs> He has a tattoo um, that says good boy that I didn't know about. What the fuck yeah, is that? I don't know. I don't, is it even what? true? She's vibing. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, I described it on Twitter as um this this is the happy go lucky life of someone who does not know um a single best actress nominee or a single <laughs> real housewife. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. Like there's a video of him. In, in, like, um, a DJ booth, like, applying chapstick to this girl's uh, lips. Like, not even in, like, a sexual way. And, like, this is my best girlfriend way. Mm-hmm. And then to his own lips. And I was just like, I, 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 I like that he lives in this nice little bubble. Right. He's just, he's just happy all the time. And, like, he's just grinning. I'm just like, he seems so much happier now than when, you know, he was... Um, Forced to do PR walks with Camila Cabello, so you <laughs> know, uh, yeah, you know, they. I mean, we 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 always have a couple like that in pop culture, you know. Like right now, it's Lucas Gage and Chris Appleton. That's <laughs> very good. Oh my God, Lucas J- Gage just did a gave an uh, interview on a red carpet to Letterboxd, and I didn't realize all of his choices for favorite movies were amazing. We can talk about this some other time. But he loved like Last Picture Show. Did not know he had that in him. Moving on, um, Sean Mendez. Uh, uh, no, you're right. He definitely does not know a single Best Actress nominee. If I say the words Janet McTeer, he looks the other way. Though I believe he <laughs> has seen The Menu. So I think he's on yes. his way. Yeah. You know? Um, he's probably got surprising good taste in movies. Like, if you asked John Mendes, like, his, his favorite, like, old movie, like, something he watched with his mom, you know, he he'd probably have, like... Something, like, unexpected. You think so? I just feel like all of his friends tend to run, like, actual dudes like he's running with people who like own a skateboard and stuff that's fair and like people who own podcasts but like podcasts where it's like men talking about like you know spirituality and like being emotional and tapping into their feelings now that sounds very correct to me and bone chilling so yeah you know i feel like all straight men who run i feel like all straight men who host podcasts are like are like two seconds from starting a cult Right, no. Christianity will appeal to them at some point, yeah. We just like hearing ourselves talk. Right, exactly. No, it's different when you're gay. No. <laughs> we, we make narcissism uh, fun. Come on. <laughs> uh, in closing about Taylor, um, I had a really fucking good time. Uh, and I traveled to Vegas to see this show. So I think I'm officially a Swifty. If a ticket ends up in my hand, I will go. And yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm just not that big a fan. I, I have all of her music, and I know it pretty well. Man, you can't even really be a non-fan of Taylor Swift. It'd be weird if you didn't know all of her music at this point. But if a, if a ticket ends up in my hand, I will go. Also, to close this out, before when you talked about, you know, like the branding of the Eras mm-hmm. tour, right? She knows what she's fucking doing. She now simultaneously has seven albums in the top 40 on Billboard 200 Mm. this week for the first time in her career, and she's the first living artist to achieve this. And I guess that's what happens when you do an era tour and highlight each of your albums in succession separately. 
because then people are going to leave the tour and be like, I want to listen to this whole album again. You really uh, nailed something here. That's giving, you know, Madonna, your new video is banned from MTV. She's like, hmm, what if I put it out on VHS? Bam, number one top seller. Yeah. So congrats, girl. You've done it again. Constantly raising the bar for capitalism. (laughs) (laughs) For someone who, like, in her top five favorite movies would probably put Tangled, I support her. (laughs) So remember when she was making, like, the all-too-well 10-minute version, and she was, like, discussing, like, the movies that she was being inspired by, like, Kramer versus Kramer. Yes. Um, Which means she has laid (laughs) eyes on Jane Alexander, which I'm not comfortable with. Yeah. Um, I... It's so weird. Like I, like, I feel like I'm in really enjoying this relaxed era of Taylor because constantly there's always shades of, this seems like a dope person that you kind of want to hang out with. She's a Sagittarius. Um, and, you know, and she's probably like a little bit of a bitch, you know? And like, that is like a pop diva you'd enjoy. And I think that we are, we're slowly getting that Taylor Swift. All right. You think this is the beginning of an evolution into a more kind of candid cunt Taylor, which, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, once she stops completely having new fans who are young, you know, and they're all grown up, I think we'll see a different Taylor. But, you know. Cute. Anyway, when we're back, we are joined by Jasmine Savoy Brown of Scream 6 and Yellow Jackets. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. If you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated. So, don't believe the dupes. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list Six times, okay? You're going on Oprah, you get in the car, and you're getting some barefoot dreams. Dressing head to toe in barefoot dreams is the key to comfort, as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. So, for Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams' soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. The early 2000s was a breeding ground for bad reality competition series. From shows like Kid Nation, CBS's weird Lord of the Flies-style social experiment that took 40 kids to live by themselves in a ghost town. It was also pretty boring, by the way. To The Swan, a horrifying concept where women spent months undergoing a physical transformation and made to compete in a beauty pageant. Amazing to watch, by the way. On each episode of Wondry's podcast, The Big Flop, comedians join host Misha Brown to chronicle one of the biggest pop culture fails of all time and try to answer the age-old question, who thought this was a good idea? Recently, The Big Flop looked at The Swan, a competition for women who were hoping to transform their physical appearance. The problem? The women were isolated for weeks, berated, operated on, and then they were ranked by a panel of judges. And that's just after Truman Capote was done with them. Unsurprisingly, it led to trauma for the contestants and terrible reviews. Follow The Big Flop on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free by joining Wondery Plus. 
Dental Associates of Northern Virginia redefine what it means to visit the dentist. Get top-quality, personalized support from committed experts who prioritize the well-being and satisfaction of you and your family. Care is centered on a highly personalized treatment plan backed by the trust and support of long-lasting relationships. Schedule your next appointment by visiting dental1-va.com slash offer slash SiriusXM. We're so lucky to have our guest with us today because she's literally booked and busy. Um, Not only a fan favorite from the Scream series, you can also catch her as the explosive and determined Tysa on Yellow Jackets, where she eats every scene like it's a dead high school soccer player. (laughs) (laughs) Please welcome to Keep It, Jasmine Savoy Brown. Hello. Hi. Me <laughs> giving myself a round of applause. <laughs> that was a good intro. Thank you. Um, we are really excited to have you here. We talked about Scream Six Thank last you. week. Um, Lewis did not even know that you'd be on um, the show this week, and I specifically Surprise! pointed you out. So I feel like a hack, like uh, like, <laughs> like I, I was I was pretending to like you right before we had you on. But no, you were so fabulous. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious! Also, Thank there's you. just there's just so few um, believable kind of nerds in movies, and in that movie, I really believed. Oh, she is somebody who is up on movie history, and and oh, uh, the, you know, qualified to really play this role. Who's like acting as a surrogate audience member who knows all about this genre and all the tropes and everything. How close are you to being someone like that? Or is it all just good acting chops? I'm a bit of that person when it comes to Broadway. I am not that mm. person when it comes to horror, but I'm a Broadway nerd. I don't know as much as I'd like to. I'm not quite a Mindy of Broadway, but I know enough. (laughs) Okay. So that's what I kind of used for that. Yeah. Are any of you, are either of you Broadway people? I'm a huge Broadway person. I'm I, li- I live in New York here, so okay. Um, so did you see Into the Woods last year with Sarah Bareilles and everybody and their mama? Uh, Heather Headley as well. Absolutely. That was fucked up. That was literally my <laughs> Super Bowl. I was like, every time someone knew walked on stage, I was like, <laughs> it was crazy. Anyway, was, thank you for the compliments. I appreciate yeah. it. No, it was a really, really good show. And um, I, I used to live in L.A. Uh, I was in L.A. for 12 years. Now I'm back in New York, and I just love being able to have this proximity to um, Broadway. I'm jealous. I, yeah. I have to go, like, twice a year, and I stay for, like, 10 days and just see two shows a day just to, like, get it all in. There was What else did I see in that trip? Downstate? Did you see Downstate, the mm, play? I did not. Gave, gave me a lot to think about. It was very good. Um, anyway, we don't have to talk about all that right now. We well, talk about that another time. Well, what's so funny, though, is that um, I kept expecting there to be sort of a Broadway moment in Scream 6 because it's set oh. in New York. Oh, yeah. That would have been sick, actually. Because one of the posters that they released, too, because uh, it has just, like, the city on it and then, like, the ghost face right. mask, it says, like, stab the musical in a corner. Oh, right. And so yes. people online, like, we all thought, oh, my God, like, to mirror, like, the opening of Scream 2, the right. kill's going to be, like, in a theater during, like, stab the musical. Oh, that would have been so sick. <laughs> They're so good at that, at, like, 
putting out little Easter eggs to make you think it's going to be one thing, but then it's something else entirely. Mm-hmm. That's funny. What's it like working with the radio silence guys? You know, because I, you know, I, yeah. I've been a fan of Ready or Not, uh, and then there was Scream Five, and now there's this, and um, I would say um, that I feel like as they're sort of like getting their feet wet in like the horror genre, I feel like each movie of theirs is really sort of like improving on what they yeah. did the previous time. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's it's really exciting to see you know, directors just sort of like getting better each time they make something. Yeah, that's so true. Uh, You know what? They are my favorite team I've ever worked with, which like, I don't say lightly because I'm not out here being like, I love being in a room full of white men, but I do with them. (laughs) They're so great. They really make the space feel, it's just a creative environment. And by that, I mean like, everyone's voice is welcomed. We, we're all in this industry. We all know what it's like. We've all been in rooms where we have a really important note that's either going to like make the project better or save someone from getting in trouble or we just think it's a good idea and people turn us away for X, Y, Z reason. Mm-hmm. Working with Radio Silence, they're like, oh, what's the feedback? How can we make it better? How can we make it more authentic to a queer Black woman or fill in the blank? Um, so I feel really safe and welcomed there and my ideas are wanted. And then we just have fun. Like at the end of the day, they are just a bunch of nerds who just want to like make movies and then go talk about it and <laughs> have a drink at the end of the night. And I love them and I would do a thousand movies with them. I really would. We have to talk about the subway scene because I can't really compare it to any recent horror I've seen where I brought this up last week actually there's a scene in Halloween Kills I specifically don't like because it takes place basically in public on this front lawn and Michael Myers goes after this like um, phalanx of firefighters and it feels too extreme and like he would be caught by the police but uh, in this subway scene something about it has a a very creepy vibe and I was wondering how that was created on the set did you really did the experience of making it look anything like what we ended up getting in the final moment, which has its own particular oh, yeah. feel. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Making it was terrifying. I don't think the subway will ever be the same. For me <laughs> <sometime> <laughs> in New York. Honestly, like I think part of the reason it felt so believable um, to your point, it's hard to make those scenes believable when they're in the public. I think this felt believable because New Yorkers be like that. Like <laughs> if it's a crowded New York subway, like in New Yorkers see everything every day. Unfortunately, they get desensitized to like everything. So some girl just like sliding down the wall. No one cares. They like stop being so dramatic, you know, <laughs> until she, it's clear that she's really in pain. Um, but yeah, shooting it was scary. There's something about, <clears throat> it doesn't matter who's wearing the ghost face outfit. Um, Because it's often members of our brilliant stunt team and they're like so fun and make sure we're really safe and we choreograph every beat. Then the second they put on the mask, it's like this other energy takes over and it gets really creepy. And that scene was so creepy. And then behind Ghostface, I don't know if they made it in the cut, but there was um, the whole tethered family from us. So, mm-hmm. and that is one of the movies that scares me the most. So then they're just behind us watching. And I was like, this is too much for me. Not creepy Lupita. Not today. Uh, no, it really sort of like heightened this thing of just like it being crowded, but also the Halloween of it. I feel like the, the Louis, yeah. you talking about a movie like that. The last movie I can really remember of like a really scary subway scene is like, you have to go to like 81 or something, like blow out. 
You know, with like you, it's the era of New York where there was no one on the subway like at night. Right. Like it'd have to be like, oh, it's just creepy because you might get murdered regularly. You know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> now it's sort of like there's so many people. Like it had to be this intense scene. How has the experience of doing Scream Six been different than the experience for Scream Five? You know, because yeah. you were shooting that one and people didn't know what was going on. You know, right. and now. Their expectations, and then you, you, spoiler alert, you survived too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you and your brother Crazy. survived. Uh, so, Mason, is, you and Mason have such amazing chemistry, by the way. We really uh, do. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, what's it like now knowing like you're going into a third one? Yeah, hopefully. Fingers hopefully. crossed. <laughs> uh, if um, they don't make a third yeah, one, that would um, be... the people, will, people will be marching in Ghostface masks <laughs> on the studio. Truly, okay? that's <laughs> terrifying. I think you're right. I think we have to, and I hope we get to. That The big difference between five and six, yeah, you know, I think we... There was this dinner. Melissa, Mason, Jenna, and I got dinner before the rest of the new cast arrived for six. And we all sat down and we went, okay, A... But people now are expecting something, but we can't think about that. We just have to like have fun because this is still our special. It's summer camp and we're all together. We've all worked so much and had a plethora of different work experiences. And we all agree that this is the best. And part of the reason it's the best is because Radio Silence has a no asshole policy. Mm-hmm. So everyone, it was harder for six because no one knew anyone. But I mean, for five, but going into six, um, every actor that was cast was vetted. Like, calls were made about their reputation and like how they behave on set and how they behave off set. Because I think part of the reason five was so magical and now also six is because everyone on set respected each other and was kind. And so at this dinner, we talked about, we need to make sure that we welcome everyone in the new cast, make them feel special, haze them just a little bit. So they know, <laughs> they know who they're working with. Um, no, I'm joking. Kind of. We're all quite pranksters. Um, but yeah, we tried to really recreate that special summer camp. This is only ours feel while we were shooting. And I think it really paid off. We just like, what do we do? We play board games at night. We go on a lot of dinners. We go get drinks often. We will just hang in someone's room and watch a movie it really feels like summer camp in a way that's really rare when you get to make a movie because so many people are involved. Um, but every new cast member was delightful and lovely to work with. And we all now, now on my phone, I have a scream five group chat and a scream six group chat that are regularly going off. <laughs> I say this not to dig, like I'm not interested in names or whatever. Can you talk about how having an asshole either what on the cast or crew or something changes what you do while you're making a movie if it like just yeah yeah what what is that like well i think to be creative you need to feel safe like it's really hard to be creative in a space where you think someone's going to judge you or make fun of you or just has nasty energy so i think it takes away from the project takes away from a feeling of safety and it's just like brings the mood down like i think we all know what that's like being with um a negative nancy why why is there negative nate why is it always women being with a negative nate who's just constantly <laughs> making making you know people feel bad or belittling them um and it's just frustrating and it's like man i don't want to go to work today and i think a lot of people relate to that whether in this industry or not like having a crappy coworker, but yeah it just it, it brings everything down people aren't going to take risks creatively and 
and then and then it's just like a you know it feels like a little ball that just like keeps getting bigger and bigger and by the end maybe people are like arguing or there's little nasty rivalries that have started it just gets very high school when it could just be we're all grown-ups here to make a thing and have a good time which doesn't mean we always agree with each other but there's like a way to handle that in a radio silence way that's like okay we tried it it doesn't work or an asshole way which is like that was stupid <laughs> you know mm. what i mean yeah it's not necessary uh, what's interesting is that um lewis and i are both friends with um hunter who's in wednesday with jenna you know and so mm-hmm. what has been i guess like your reaction to the fact that like you know like people have this new public perception of her from interviews but everything we've heard from hunter is like he's like i fucking love jenna like she's amazing oh yeah life, you know jenna is one of the loves of my life i love jenna so much i've adopted her um <laughs> yeah it's so funny because when wednesday blew up i still haven't even seen it I really don't watch my friend's work. Maybe I'm a bad friend. I don't know. But I'm like, I don't need to see that. I know I know you. Um, I, I know the feeling. I don't either. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> you can't watch everything. <laughs> you can't. There's no time. And it's like, whatever. I'd rather hear about it from you. And I'll see the viral clips online. Um, I've been knowing that Jenna is... We've all known that Jenna's amazing. Um, and yeah, for her to be having this moment, I think like with anyone that's blowing up, I've had a few good friends who've blown up. Like, uh, Reggae Jean Page. I worked with him on For the People, obviously Jenna, a couple others I can't think of. I always have a feeling of worry a bit. Like it's so exciting to see you getting your flowers and to see you getting what you deserve, but also like that's so much so fast. Um, and suddenly there's this lack of privacy that's really scary. And, and this industry has a way of just like chewing people up and spinning them out. Like Jenna's so hot right now, or Reggae's so hot right now. I need to squeeze them of everything forgetting that there's a person in there like who still has to go home at night and like get in bed and you know that this is hopefully just our career that we're full people outside of this with social lives and spiritual lives and personal lives and romantic lives the career is just one piece um so yeah seeing her blow up i feel worried and protective and also proud Mm. um i guess we should talk about yellow jackets and first of all what i want to ask about is I am just obsessed with the amount of like um 90s pop culture literacy this show comes with it's just like oh my god right I just I'm, <laughs> I'm always so thrilled like oh now people are looking up whatever PJ Harvey or they're looking up like these like yeah. how much of an education was it for you um just hearing all this like awesome music that they're reintroducing the public to Oh my God, the music is amazing. It's quite an education. I often feel like an idiot because my cast is so young and cool. Um, like Sophie Thatcher, how old is she? Actually, like 22. And she's she loves 90s music. She's been listening to it. And same with Liv. Liv, like, I don't know, so much of the cast already knows all the music. And I'm like, how do you, how do you guys, how do you have the time? How do you know this? Sophie, you were not even born in the 90s. I, it <laughs> makes me feel old, and I'm not, but kind of compared to them. Um, but the music is insane, and that Florence and the Machine cover of I'm Just a Girl is so sick. Fantastic. Fan- it's fucking so fantastic. good. Yeah, it's fun. But yeah. of course, you've got your Broadway thing, too. So you do have your like kind of secret got, corridor of yes. knowledge about something. I'm like, maybe I don't know all the 90s music, but I know Sondheim's entire discography. So leave me alone. <laughs> You've got to see Sweetie Todd. I just saw it a couple weekends ago. It's, oh, it's really so good. good. Yeah, <laughs> it's good. It's a faithful 
good adaptation. I wish it were a bit more scarier and like macabre, but it's, but it's a really good production. Good to know. Very good to know. Thank you. Yeah. Um, well, one thing about like Yellow Jackets is that, you know, the, the older versions of, you know, the younger actresses, you know, are like these nineties icons. And that, and that's a bit like being in Scream too. You know, you had like Nev Campbell, you know, you had, uh, Courtney, you know, and then like in six, like you had Dermot, you know? So like, do you get to, do you even get to interact with them on Yellow Jackets though? Because there's two different timelines. Uh, Barely. Yeah. We, we barely, I mean, we interact socially. Yeah. During press and like when we're all filming, we try to get together. This season Mm -hmm. we tried a lot and it failed every time. I think because (laughs) we all, because the first season, the border was closed. So we were shooting in Canada. We couldn't leave. No one could mm. come visit. We really only had each other. And also vaccines were just coming out at that time. So we didn't leave our bubble. This season, it was like, we're all vaccinated. The borders are open. No one's trying to be in Vancouver more than they need to be. So everyone's <laughs> flying in and out. <laughs> so yeah, we really only interact physically during press, but we have like a tech stream going and I'll sometimes run into Melanie or someone, mostly Melanie, in hair and makeup. Um, and we'll just like catch up about what's going on on set. Um, but they're incredible. And I love watching their work. Like, I love reading the script, imagining how they're going to do it, and then seeing how they do it. It's so fun, especially with Juliet. Mm. She is like a loose cannon of an actor. And I mean that as a compliment. Like, mm-hmm. you never know what the hell she's going to do. Um, that scene in episode one, yeah, where she's strapped to the bed at the compound and she's just like flinging her legs around. And then, mm-hmm. how fun! Like, oh, I just think she's insane. <laughs> and again, <laughs> as a compliment, as an actor, that is such a good compliment. She has such um, timeless performances, too. When you go back to like when she really broke in the early 90s like she gave a specific and often unhinged energy like we really needed if, yeah. if, you, if you wrote a Juliet lewis role only she could play it you know there was no Absolutely. other person lined up to uh do that and now she's having this uh fabulous renaissance now i compare her to like martha plimpton or something where they've always had this mm-hmm. self-possession and then you put her in these adult roles and it's like wow extremely lived in and extreme and there's like an yeah. urgency to the performance it's mm. so cool it's so cool i hope that somehow Maybe in the future we'll have a scene together. I don't know how that would happen. Maybe older Natalie is dreaming a dream with younger. T- who knows? But I want to work with her actually so bad. It, it sounds like mm-hmm. something that would be in Yellow Jackets the musical, frankly. So yeah. maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I will. So speaking of like performers um, that you enjoy, um, my friend Michael Cuby just profiled you for them. Um, and I love yeah, that piece that so much. Yeah, such a beautiful piece. I can't get over it. Yeah, I mean, you look great in the photos. Like, it was, it was such you. like a, he's such like a great writer. So I really love like how you came across in it too. Um, yeah. But I have a question then, because you talk about how, um, you know, two of your favorite white actresses, Meryl Streep, Carrie Mulligan. Yeah. Um, what are your favorite roles from both of them? Okay. Well, from Carrie Mulligan, I really love some of her early work. An Education oh, is one of my yeah. favorite films. She just, oh my God, she's so good in that. That's one of the first things I saw 
um, when I moved out and was like, okay, I'm going to be an actor. I don't remember where or why, but that was part of the, I lived in Portland for a while. And so I'd spent a lot of time driving up to Seattle, auditioning for commercials. Um, and I, and that movie pushed me over the edge to move to LA. Um, <clears throat> Meryl, what, I mean, so many incredible things, probably doubt Great performance. Mm. I feel like yeah. we don't talk about that movie much anymore outside of maybe the Viola conversation because that's such a right. pungent scene. But Well, know. that's probably part of it. Part of why that's one of my favorite Meryl performances. I don't think there's a lot of people that can elevate Meryl, like that are so good and so present that they make Meryl even better. And Viola definitely did, mm-hmm. um, which is so amazing considering where that was in her career. But yeah, Marilyn Doubt, just that last scene of when she said, I have doubt. Oh, also because I grew up super religious and super Christian, and I don't identify with that anymore. But I, you know, I think in like seventh grade, I was like, should I be a nun? Like, I don't know. There's something so, so complex about that. And she just did such a beautiful job. Those are two of my favorite roles of theirs. I love Imperious mm. Cold Meryl, too. Even uh, in uh, Little Women, the performance she gave, where it's like there's a kind of withering, dry humor, but also a, a real kind of Catholic feeling um, yeah. uh, close to the chest vibe about her, the power there. Uh, weirdly, once upon a time, I interviewed Carrie Mulligan because she was in a movie called Suffragette that has Meryl Streep and yes. a minor role in it. And yes. she said her favorite... My dream. <laughs> she said if she, could be, <laughs> if she could be in a Meryl movie, she would have picked The River Wild, which I thought was a pretty rad uh, choice. Wow. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Tell me that she was so nice. Oh, please. no. She's somebody Carrie's who so nice. I, I, I think you can confirm. We have like mutual gay friends in common with her. I, I honestly, yeah. when I when I think <laughs> cool. of um, celebrities, mostly gay <laughs> male celebrities, but um, in general, if if we don't have like mutual friends at this point, I'm like, well, then who do you fucking hang out with? Like, I, like yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. hard not to know fun people, you know? Yeah, it's yeah. true. It's, it's true. wild. Our two female celebrities are Karen Mulligan and Renee Zellweger. Yeah. Whoa! <laughs> the ones we have the closest connections. To. <laughs> that's hilarious, and somehow makes sense. I feel like Renee can hang. Uh, uh, she's she's, she's Texan, you know what I mean? There's a spunk going on there. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> um, I feel like I'm gonna dip right back in um, before we close this up to Broadway again. What is your favorite? Like you're at home. What cast recording are you putting on? Because for me, it's usually Guys and Dolls or Thoroughly Modern Millie. Okay, so I can pick two because you picked two. Please two. Pick two. Two means uh, five-ish. So it's... <laughs> yeah, we're going we're gonna to go with five. Um, In the Heights is my favorite musical that I've never seen. Oh. I've never seen that musical, but I listened to it more than anything. Also, Waitress. As I said earlier, I'm a huge Sarah Bareilles fan. Mm-hmm. Memphis. Memphis came mm. and it went. Like, did yes. you ever see Memphis? I did. I Memphis I was loved. out when um, I I went to grad school at NYU. Uh, and so when I my first stint in New York, Memphis was on Broadway. Oh my and god, so, it was incredible. Yeah. I loved Memphis so much that I think. What is this? Am I getting this right? I might be mixing, but I think it was one of the first musicals that they like at least that i encountered that was recorded and then shown at a couple random movie theaters in the states so i like saw it on broadway and then mm. saw it again in the theater oh, Memphis. oh excuse me um and um chicago oh i mean those are four favorites chicago i would 
die for those musicals. Is it? Although I prefer the film. Uh, same. Yeah. Same. The show's a little freaky. It's <laughs> why it's not. The film is better. Yeah. The casting is really yeah. A plus. Like every single person oh, is exactly incredible. right for those roles. Yeah. Look, I'm saying this in all my press because I'm really trying to like corner Telsey and Co. and Sarah Bareilles into doing this um, and Searchlight Pictures. They need to do Waitress the Musical oh, certainly. as a film, and I play Jenna. Love it. Let's get okay? it. Let's oh, get it on the record it. so many times that people think it's happening, and then they have to actually <laughs> make it happen. I do want to just give a shout out, by the way, to the original Waitress movie, which remains so underrated and such a great role yeah. for Carrie Russell, too. Cheryl Hines mm. is great. Yeah, the late Adrian Shelley, fabulous. Andy Griffith in a lovely performance. Anyway, people should check that out yes. in preparation for this inevitable movie you will be in. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Sarah, call me. I'm available. <laughs> Can we see some other like Broadway in your future, too? Is that something? Yeah, how about that? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. I just added i just signed with the the broadway department of my agency because i actually like musical theater is where i started and i did Mm. a summer program and i have a vocal coach and anyway i just sent in a tape a few days ago what is your dream role um you know like if we're doing a revival who is it gonna be like jasmine savoy brown is I mean, literally, Jenna and Waitress the Musical. I'm not kidding. I love that role. Did you hear her? Yeah. I love it so much. I I don't, it's because the music is cerebralis. And I just like, because I think this is a whole other conversation, but as a mixed race woman, like, I don't have like a black, belty voice, like a gospel voice, but I also don't have the like blonde, white, like, triple double extra e flat belt nasal mm-hmm. thing it's more of like a cerebralis mix somewhere in the middle <laughs> so <laughs> that's the dream role right there okay okay Lovely. we're gonna get it for you yeah we're gonna get it for you yeah i'm not yeah. worried i'm not worried i don't think you should yeah. be pessimistic about this <laughs> thank you i appreciate that Thank you so uh, much for being here. As expected, you are um, as rad as b- both of your roles in Scream and in Yellow Jacket. So thank you so much for bringing you. that radness to us. And yeah. thank you for having me. This is so much fun. Yeah. Congrats great. on being in two current iconic franchises. So thank you. I've yes. someone someone's looking out for me. It's yeah. going and, well. And I and I'm like genuine Scream Stan. So okay. you know, like you are you are cool. my fave um in the new films. Thank you. That's a huge honor. And I'm glad you're alive. Yeah, no shit. Oh my God, Let's just say that. But can we... Why is Chad alive? That man should have died. (laughs) No, excuse... We were were discussing this last week. Excuse me. They were basically throwing the knives at at a certain point at him. He was like... He was like... And then he's like, hey, I'm good. It's made people online to be like... Because um, what people didn't notice was that um, the theater that you guys all go into, like, there's, like, a worn sign that says, like, Jennifer Jolie Retrospective, who is Parker Posey's character in the third film. And people are like, well, if he survived that, she has to be alive. Oh, my God. I'm like, if people oh who just, God. like, died from, like, three stabs in the <laughs> earlier films now, after Chad, is like, well, everyone's alive. Yeah. <laughs> that's so true <laughs> everyone is alive now that would make an interesting scream seven yeah uh, everyone comes back i mean i was shocked that all of you that the core four survived but then i read this like interview with kevin williamson from a few years ago where he said um 
when he was making like Scream 2, like they they obviously had no idea there'd be even a Scream 3, like a franchise or anything. And he was just like, right. he, he really wanted people in the final act to be mad at Ghostface and to up the stakes. So he killed Randy because he knew right. that he couldn't kill Gail or Dewey, you know? Um, right. But he says it's the one death that he regrets because if it was, because if he knew it would turn into a Scream franchise, he would have wanted Randy still around with him. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that would have been really cool. So it's nice the four of you are like alive to like take the films into like a new yeah. era. Yeah. How many do you think there'll be? I think there's going to be like 13. Yes, I do. I think it's fully RuPaul's Drag Race at this point. Yeah. And literally, like RuPaul's Drag Race, it's a franchise about being upset standing the earlier installments. You know? Oh my God, that's hilarious. You know? And it's it's so funny though, because it's like, as a horror fan too, it's, you know, we have like The Nightmare and like Friday the 13th and like, um, you know, the Halloween films and like those middle ones are usually, were just like a mess. You know, but now mm-hmm. we're in like an era where like people care about the six version, the sixth film in a franchise actually being good. Yeah, you know, right. so right. as witty True. as it is, you know, bloody and uh, eye popping. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yep. Shoot. Anyway. Well, fingers crossed for Scream Thirteen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, have a great day. Yes, thank uh, you so much. You. So good to talk you to you. You too. This was lovely. seen all the video call fails by now the mute button mishaps the cat cameos people not realizing the camera's on when their pants are off but none of this makes fred feel any better about giving an entire sales pitch mistakenly using a filter that turns him into an itsy bitsy baby duck how do i turn this thing off it's too late fred it's too late when you realize it's better to do business in person it matters where you stay welcome to the hilton garden Inn, fred the meeting room is right down the hall hilton for the stay It's 2024. We're facing another presidential election with huge stakes. You want to help. You don't know where your money will actually make a difference or how to figure that out. Ensure you love to take an edible and not think about it, but you can't because you do care. Let Vote Save America make it easy for you with their new anxiety relief program. Here's how it works. You set up a monthly recurring donation at the level that feels right for you, and Vote Save America will send 100% of it to the grassroots organizations and down-ballot races that need it most. Then, at the end of the month, they'll tell you where your dollars went. That's it. Set it and forget it. Vote Save America has already raised $52,000 in monthly recurring donations. Love it. That's great. From over 1,000 amazing, sustaining donors who've signed up and trusted Vote Save America to make their dollar go further. But we still have a long way to go, and Vote Save America needs your help to get there. Sign up at votesaveamerica.com enjoy your edible <laughs> legal disclaimer paid for by vote save america votesaveamerica.com not authorized by any candidate or candidates committee beyonce katanji brown jackson the lady who spent 500 days in a cave women are all around us and this women's history month the crooked store is celebrating with a pop-up shop featuring favorites from women of color founded companies for a limited time, the SheCommerce pop-up shop has everything from delicious goodies to kids' books to candles, all from small companies that we love. It is a great way to support women of color while treating a woman in your own life, maybe that's yourself, to a sweet distraction from the endless horrors that we face every single day. Happy Women's History Month to all. Check out what's in stock at crooked.com store for this month only. <laughs> 
This week, we got to add another entry for when you search what the hell is going on with Gwyneth Paltrow on Google. And it was getting stale, so thank God. (laughs) The trail was running cold, you know what I mean? Gwyneth took to the stand last weekend during the trial for the ski accident she was being sued for, and this case has left us gooped and gagged and angry because if I'd known this trial were coming up, I would have asked Kerry Washington, was Gwyneth prepping for this trial while you were with her? No kidding. Also, she left us in the lurch. She knows we care about that. <laughs> I'm a little upset with Kerry Washington right now. She'll hear from us. Yeah. I didn't realize, even just watching the preliminary stuff about the trial or watching Gwyneth on the stand, that actually it sounds like um, he ran into her and just dollar signs appeared in his eyes at some point and he decided, oh, I'm going to milk money out of this woman. Like, it fully is, it, it feels like she didn't do anything wrong to me. Yeah. I mean, so, like, here is the thing about this trial. Terry Sanderson, this retired optometrist, uh, ran into her, apparently, on the slopes in Deer Valley uh, in 2016. That's where I just was uh, a few weeks ago for a ski trip. Um, And also to do detective work. You were right on site, yes. Yeah, I was Lady Gaga, okay? Uh, (laughs) I went to investigate myself and get some answers. We never did find out what she learned about January 6th. (laughs) (laughs) I, I don't think we ever will, either. Though I do believe she knows it. Yeah, we'll, we'll hear about it in an album someday. Right, right. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so this man is now suing Gwyneth Paltrow um, for brain injuries. Um, allegedly, I don't know what's going on. It is the most unserious trial in recent memory. Yeah. Because he was first suing her for $3.1 million, now he's suing her for three hundred thousand. Uh, Gwyneth is countersuing for one dollar symbolically, um, and also um, attorney fees. But every aspect of this trial is farce, is comedy. I don't know who this attorney is that he hired. Right. And it, by the way, it wasn't apparent from the viral clips that she was representing him, the, this woman who keeps going viral. But then it made more sense to me because I, I guess the tactic would be, oh, ask Stan-like questions about Gwyneth Paltrow to butter her up and I guess get her prepped to maybe admit something she wouldn't normally admit to somebody who was being, you know, alpha and in her face. Right. So Kristen Van Orman, like the attorney for Sanderson, um, yes, it's giving off very, you know, like, Mamie Gummer in um, The Good Wife. You know, very, like, like, oh, I'm clueless. Like, I'm asking these questions, like, trying to be your bestie, and then maybe, like, going for the kill. But I'm just, I'm wondering when the kill is supposed to be happening. <laughs> right. When will you know? the assassination attempt occur? Because, first of all, the, the proof that this man was damaged by... Um, you know, the incident on the slopes, you know, he said that, you know, he says that Gwyneth skied into him. Um, and he's alleging, you know, that, like, he had the right of way for skiing. And so, like, Gwyneth should have, you know, not been in the way. And that also she left him for dead uh, and just skied off after he was injured. Um, his, his claim is that he's no longer charming uh, and that he can't enjoy... Um, 
wine tastings anymore. And his kids have been on the stand and basically um, testified to the fact that, no, he's kind of an asshole. <laughs> before the before the accident. So also, there was no charm. Just claiming that you're missing out on wine tastings, bitch, you cannot out Gwyneth Gwyneth. I'm sorry. <laughs> you're not going to outmatch the bum brothstress, okay? <laughs> and you have a bone to pick with people um, who are standing Gwyneth right now. Well, it just feels very Gwyneth come lately. I, you know, mm. we, first of all, like, you and I are qualified to make the joke, oh, she simply moved into the film The Talented Mr. Ripley, where she yes. now lives a life of exotic vacations, and, okay, somebody was maimed. You know, like, that's just, <laughs> like, her life. She lives it, and we watch it. We enjoy it. Um, it just feels like a lot of people who their primary Gwyneth pop culture reference is uh, her Emmy-winning turn on Glee. Um, mm. Maybe they m- remember the idea of Country Strong, but I, I don't see that they went and actually saw that film. You know, mm. I don't see that they went to I see... I was in the trenches. I mean, no, I know okay. you were, please. Late Meester. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I remember specifically thinking Late Meester was going to be a pop star once upon a time, not just because of Cobra Starship. She had that awesome cover of Betty Davis' Eyes that I only could find on PerezHilton.com at the time. Moving and on. And a song with Robin Thicke, Somebody to Love. <laughs> Would love to know what happened to him. Is he still on The Masked Singer? Probably. Okay. Someone's inside him, probably. Right. <laughs> we'll find out who's been Robin Thicke all this time. He's still on that show, like <laughs> on, like taking a bird mask off somebody, and it's the shaman from uh, January 6th. Uh, so anyway, I just feel like Gwyneth Paltrow, um, we, I, there's like a joke idea of her as a celebrity. And by the way, it's valid. She all the time will say something, even during this trial when she says, oh, I lost half a day of skiing. There is a quality about her that is ripe for laughter. But at the same time, it's just... She's such a good for real actress that I wish still in this like making fun of Gwyneth space we're in, we still got some actual standing going on that forced her into good movie making. Because I will say what she's doing in this trial feels like a good Gwyneth movie. You know, yeah. like I would love to see her in a courtroom on the silver screen. So a part of this is almost painful in an ironic way that we're getting now finally the Gwyneth Paltrow performance we want. But it's for people who make bad memes on Instagram. This is just like the OJ trial, you know? It's as exciting as the OJ trial, only this time around, I want justice for a white woman. <laughs> Good l- <laughs> I'm living with that comment. I'm rarely floored. I'm rarely floored. Okay, so this lawyer that's working against her, do you know who she reminds me of? She reminds me of, before she was fired, what Julia Moore would have been like if Nicole Holof Center had kept her in Can You Ever Forgive Me? That, to me, is oh, what God. I envisioned for that movie. Please look up yeah. her Watch What Happens Live to hear Julianne Moore talk about her one and only experience being fired from a movie. <laughs> I did not know that. Yes, it's actually. a crazy story. And then Melissa McCarthy obviously took over the role and got an Oscar nomination. And also, mm-hmm. I just can't picture Julianne Moore in that role. It feels too... Um, we rarely get a dowdy Julianne Moore. You know what I mean? Yeah. E- even when she's, you know, um, pill popping um, and screaming at the pharmacist in Magnolia, she is still giving you, like, vintage Hollywood glamour. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You Right. She's like, a you know, an eye-popping sort of beauty. Um, Her child is missing from a plane on the Forgotten, and it does not look like this bitch has been flying on a plane. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> she looks too kempt. <laughs> Julianne Moore, you gotta you gotta call up Charlize or something and figure out how to like um, take it down a notch. 
Apparently also in this trial, Gwyneth literally at the time texted somebody before she got to the bottom of the hill, before she could possibly have any idea that this man would be suing her. She said, wow, that guy really ran into me. Like, it just yeah. sounds like this guy um, was the cause of all this and also just seems dubious in general. You cannot be suing someone when you have an email that exists with the headline, I guess I'm famous now, but at what cost? <laughs> <laughs> also, this happened seven years ago. I think his brain is still functioning, you know. Right. I mean, here's one thing I will say in his defense. Uh-huh. If I am in a ski accident with Gwyneth Paltrow. And I've thought about this before. I would also think about suing. <laughs> I mean, right. She's like, yes, he's in it for a payday. I'm like, of course, I'd also be in it for a payday, (laughs) you know, but I think it would have to really be not my fault. Because if I knew that it was kind of my fault, I would feel like I would be eviscerated on the stand, you know? Right, right, right. Um, Yeah. Also, just like, you know, sonically, something about Gwyneth Paltrow being sued in this space feels correct. So I could see maybe thinking, oh, the narrative will work in my favor anyway, since, you know, she's the, like, the poster child for oblivious white lady. So maybe, like, the odds would be stacked in my favor. But at the same time, it just sounds like you fucking collided with Gwyneth Paltrow, and now that's it. Um, Anyway, it's been thrilling to watch. It's just been one of the few very quotable trials, too. Like, it just mm-hmm. it constantly being fed. I feel like things like Pop Crave really pulled through in this instance and just, you know, the sound bites alone were good enough. Yeah, I know. The, the sound bites are hilarious. You know, the, the, the Taylor Swift of it all, to get back to her, um, Taylor Swift, I was like, why? When you first hear, like, a quote from the trial, too, it's sort of the surreal thing where you're like, why are they discussing Taylor Swift? It made no it sense. It was because yeah. the suing for one dollar... Um, the lawyer was like, did you text your friend Taylor about, you know, when she sued the guy in her sexual assault case um, for a dollar symbolically? And Gwyneth was like, no, I had no idea that she did that. And I'm like, this is Gwyneth Paltrow who didn't even know she was in fucking Spider-Man, okay? Like, do you think (laughs) that she knows that Taylor Swift sued somebody for a dollar? Right. I I expect her to be like, oh, yeah, I remember her. Like that. I took my kids to a concert. Yes, cool. exactly. And I'm sure Taylor was like, um, Gwyneth, do you want to, can I welcome you to the stage? And <laughs> Gwyneth was like, I'm good, honey. <laughs> Though, actually, when you phrase it, uh, when you put that into context, that lawyer asking that question is pretty bastardly. You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, that other white lady did this. Did you think you would be like that other white lady? You know, just <laughs> demeaning the whole thing. Um. Which also, I mean, just to briefly mention, too, you know, like, Gwyneth does say that, like, because obviously you said she texted someone, like, that guy really ran into me. Like, Mm -hmm. she was, like, when she was first hit on the slopes, she thought she was being assaulted or something, Mm -hmm. you know, because you're standing there, and then this just guy's skis go through yours, and then this man's body on top of you. Like, of course, what else would you think if you're just a woman out there in the snow? Right. Uh, losing half a day of skiing, though. One of the great quotes. I, I thank her for giving it. Baby, if I lost half a day of opera skiing, <laughs> right. I'd be upset, okay? <laughs> That's Come what, on. There's lots of gays that actually go fucking skiing, and I have to tell you, I refuse. I'm sorry. Yeah. Like the, I'm, I'm, the Natasha Richardson in, incident, too fresh for me. I remember it very yeah. vividly. Oh, God. Yeah. Vanessa Redgrave going on talk shows afterwards? Absolutely not. 
<laughs> she was grim anyway. I love a ski trip with friends. You know, I recently went on one to the same location where the accident happened. Um, harrowing. Um, <laughs> I, I could, you know. Um. <laughs> Arriving on vacation, harrowed. <laughs> um, but I do not like skiing. I have no interest in it. I like the mise en ski. Sure. Okay. <laughs> You know, um, I like the outfits. Yeah. Yeah. The outfits, the cocktails mm-hmm. in, you know, the chalet. Um, I like the air and spelling of it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I like the like little, the tents that they have, the one, especially in Deer Valley at the St. Regis, you know, where there's just like a DJ playing and everyone's just like drinking vuv um, and doing sh- oyster sh- shots and, you yes. know, doing the shot ski thing, the, the like the shots that are on like the, the skis, you know, like tipping them back. Like that shit's fun. That is, that is white excellence. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. When, when, James when you, Bond. When, yes. Okay. When your people came up with opera ski, yeah. they were in their bag. Okay? <laughs> one of the best things white people have ever done. Ever. Something they're still learning about in the South in history books. It's one of the few things that still makes it. Yeah. Mm. All right. To wrap this up, we can't be talking about Gwyneth without talking about our favorite Gwyneth roles. Oh, sure. Well, I mean, like, uh, the Talented Mr. Ripley comes to mind. Obviously, Shakespeare in Love holds up way better than most people would give it credit for. If I had to add another one to it, I think one of her earliest roles is one of her best. It's a very small role. Mrs. Parker in the Vicious Circle, where she, um, it's about Dorothy Parker, played by Jennifer Jason Leigh. Um, it's about the Algonquin Round Table. Honestly, I love, I, I like a lot about the movie, and I also don't like a lot about it, because it's one of those... It's about Dorothy Parker, and so they just insert a lot of her mm. best lines into dialogue, and I don't think that's how Dorothy Parker functioned. I don't think she was walking around dispensing the quotes you see on DorothyParkerQuotes.com. You know what I mean? Um, but Gwyneth has a very small role, um, and is just uh, it's a star-making performance, and nobody talks about that movie. Uh, Campbell Scott's in it. Lots of great performances in it. Jennifer Beals mm-hmm. is in it. Um, I'm such a fan of, you know, Great Expectations, to Oh, be great. And by the way, there's a new one of those with Olivia Coleman right now. She's slaying, though the uh, show is quite slow. Yeah. Uh, and it's, I, also, side note about Great Expectations. Someone was pointing out online the fact that, um, and this is very true, um, whenever an actress is playing Mrs. Havisham, it's always this very old actress. Uh, and this person was like, in Dickinson's era, Someone who was like an old maid would have been like forty. Sure. Yes. <laughs> so uh, she's she's not actually elderly. Um, I love Gwyneth in that. Uh, I, you know what? Do you remember a perfect murder? That was from that era when she was just in like sh- she hit every genre, and most yeah. of them were pretty good. Uh, that's that was part of that streak. Yeah. Michael Douglas, Viggo Mortensen. Mm-hmm. When we used to know what to do with him. Right. Oh, now we just throw him in everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she's uh, also in a movie called Hard Eight. You know, that was the uh, Paul Thomas Anderson pre-Boogie Nights. That's a good movie, too. You know what? I've never seen Hard Eight. You would think we would talk more about a, a Paul Thomas Anderson movie with Gwyneth Paltrow in it. And actually, music by is, uh, uh, Michael Penn. That is one of my Paul Thomas Anderson... Um, blind spots? Blind spots. you got to get I on that. I need to fix that. You know what my other Gwyneth blind spot is? Hmm. And this is going to be so weird I'm clenching to my you fists. that I've never seen this. Because uh, I reference the movie all the time. Because the the movie title 
has basically become like um, a term. Yeah. Um, for describing something. Oh, here we go. Um, sliding doors. Sliding doors. Yeah. When you I talk about a sliding okay. doors universe, yeah. where you know, like what life would be like if you had not gone through this one door or whatever. Uh, I've never seen sliding doors. I saw it in college. I think it's a little bit more interesting of a concept than an execution, but she is great. I just miss her as a movie star. That like just people who don't do a lot of facial expressions. So when you do get a moment of glee or something, it really feels like a reward. You know, I think this is a quality people associate with someone like maybe Kristen Stewart or even like Jennifer Lawrence, somebody who has a resting deadpan face. And then when you get mm-hmm. the moment of joy, it's really rewarding. Mm. Well, maybe I'll revisit some Gwyneth movies now because of the trial. Uh, I, I'm actually e- I'm gonna fix those blind spots, and I'm actually eager to see if um if Bounce is a good movie. Now that's a good question. <laughs> I never her saw Bounce. Br- her and Ben Affleck. Okay. Right. Um. Yeah. Is it is it Julie level? Right. Right. Man, when she hosted SNL and that monologue where she makes fun of. Ben Affleck for winning a writing Oscar. So funny. Oh, my God. <laughs> she could really dress you down. Uh, all right. Well, shout out to Gwyneth, you know? Um, please go back to acting. Yeah. You know? Go back, to, go back to stealing scripts from another writer. Yeah. Oh, wow. You said it. That's a real Lewis <laughs> comment. I really feel outclassed. And here you are. Actually... Don't steal any scripts from 2023, Winona Ryder. Oh, no, I'm not interested in that. (laughs) I am interested in seeing her in Mr. Deeds, though, if she would give that a shot. (laughs) (laughs) Which current actress do you think Gwyneth should be stealing scripts from? It's rumored that she, like, stole, like, the role in Shakespeare in Love um, from Winona Ryder. Right. um, For those who don't know. Also, Uh, Julia Roberts was up for that role, interestingly. Um, Now, who should she steal from? Hmm... God, is there a good answer to this? I mean, I would like to see her in The Lost Daughter now that we've said Olivia Coleman. Mm. I want I would like a bleak a good Gwyneth. Fucking role I would like a bleak Gwyneth. Yeah, I'd like to see that. Yeah. Okay. I I can see that. I would love to see her in like some Olivia Coleman-esque roles. Like Gwyneth Paltrow in the favorite. Right. Mm. In like the Rachel Vice role. Yeah. Would have been would have been really interesting. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, because she Gwyneth did a period film, didn't she? I mean, besides like Shakespeare in Love and um, uh, besides that, I mean, no, but she's maybe all sorts the of only one. Yeah. Anyway, or or just go back to work with Wes Anderson again. I don't know. Yeah, I'd like to say. Oh, right, a movie I haven't thought about in like fifteen years. I would like him to get back to his quirky Royal Tenenbaums era than whatever it is he's doing now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't love dogs that much. <laughs> All right, well, we're back. Keep it. And we're back with our favorite segment of the episode. It is Keep It. Lewis, what's going on? I hate giving a keep it to something I am truly a huge fan of. But unfortunately, The White Lotus Season 3, which will be Mm. coming out whenever it comes out. I mean, this is just uh, an announcement I saw in Variety. With exclusive in all caps, which, you know, which means I have to click right away because it might go away or something. <laughs> the urgency is very funny. Um, it'll be set in Thailand. I have to say, keep it to that. I feel like literally every single one of my friends guessed that it would be in uh, Asia and literally in Thailand because that's the most, you know, 
quote unquote exotic resort like location of uh, you know in Asia. And I don't know. I just th- I think at this point it needs to be something a little bit more off the wall than that. It almost like they have to be in Antarctica, and uh, you know. <laughs> Like, like there's non-human characters who are now big parts of it and speak. Yeah. Penguins chatting with, you know, uh, Haley Lou Richardson. That speaks to me. Yeah. And we can cast Jim Carrey in it, too. It's Mr. Popper. <laughs> but, uh, crossover. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Professor Emer- Emeritus, Mr. Popper. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, I've heard, like, the thing that it's supposed to be about, you know, like, uh, people, like, you know, Eastern spirituality, how white people sort of, like, co-opt that, you know, they're lost in translation or whatever. Um, what are you trying to say about can... Alanis Morissette going to India, okay? She had a spiritual <laughs> conversion, and we accept it as is. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it makes sense for Mike White, because, you know, like, there was a lot of spirituality in Enlightened, yeah. for instance. Oh, that's true, yes. Yeah. So, by the way, um, are we getting her involved yet? Come on, get Laura Dern to the White Lotus. Besides just her voice on yeah. the phone with Michael Imperioli. Right. You know, that should um, be a good entree to the series. That should be her reason to be involved. Yeah. Uh, I'm excited for season three and whoever's going to be cast. I will say uh, it's like a trend to be like, get this person in White Lotus season three. And I feel like some of you have lost the plot. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. Like, we don't need Lindsay Lohan in season three of White Lotus, okay? I think let, let her raise her baby. I, yeah, I think, I think we're just done with even the ironic standing of Lindsay Lohan. Now she has come back, and it was fine, and it was good to see her, and I don't need to see that again. Stop. <laughs> it, like, upsets me a little bit. Like, there's a lot of people out there who are fucking fabulous actresses that we need to see more of. Again, Janet McTeer getting that small role on the menu. All right, now you go to the White Lotus. That I want to see. Mm, you go ahead right. and be eleven foot four in Thailand. I want to see it. Mm. You're Janet McTeering up over yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what, what, what uh, Janet McTeer fans would be called? Uh, I'm a tumble pee weed. I don't know. I'm a tumbleweed. I'm a tumbler. I tumble for Janet McTeer. Okay. All right. <laughs> You're having an Alpha Five meltdown over yeah. there. Ay ay ay. Is this name Alpha 5, not just Alpha? It's Alpha 5. Oh, my God. Power Rangers, we're getting some revamped version of that, correct? We're Yeah, we're getting like a... Reed is back, and some of the original people are back, but not Amy Jo Johnson. Oh, I love her. Um, I know. Yeah, Alpha really was giving you um, Urkel from the future. It was just straight up Urkel. Yeah, it was very urkel Right. Yeah. Okay, um, Ira, what is your keep it this week? My keep it this week goes to... Men? Oh, Terry McMillan jumped out. Here we go. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And I'm not talking about the Alex Garland film, although I could be, because keep it to that movie, too. Right, yeah. I'm going to say, are you not keeping it? Okay. Yeah. But keep it to men in the wake of this Jonathan Majors news that he maybe assaulted his girlfriend um, by, you know, like, attacking her, maybe strangled her. Um, She reported it to the police. um, Or maybe he called 911. There are a lot of accounts that are online right now, you know, and, you know, to parse through all of them is maddening. Um, Regardless of what actually happened, my keep it goes to men for being very fucking predictable. Because it was just weeks ago 
that people were saying that Jonathan Majors was too soft or not masculine enough or, like, wearing pink, uh, you know, for being, you know, so just displaying, like, emotion in interviews with, like, Michael B. Jordan, you know, like, and there are a lot of his magazine covers where he was wearing, so quote-unquote, like, feminine clothes, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and he was also... Um, cast in a Dennis Rodman biopic too and it was like oh he'd be you know wearing like the Dennis wedding dress and stuff like that you know like some part of the internet was excited for it uh, and then there are men online who are like you know like why are they destroying like our masculine men etc right I ask fast- that every day I get up and put my hand on the bible and ask the same question fast forward to this alleged assault and now all of a sudden the Jonathan Majors defense squad has jumped out. The same people who were saying that he wasn't masculine enough before, now it is um, the police are trying to take a black man down. Mm. Men are very predictable. Uh, And all it took was, you know, um, the prospect that maybe he uh, assaulted a woman uh, and maybe the police are trying to set him up or something to make you um, relate to him. When you couldn't relate to him before. And mm. that's so gross. That is really fucking gross. Also, I mean, as you just said, the news is baffling. Like, you can't tell what happened or what was even going on. It was, like, at a weird time of day. It was, like, at 11 a.m. in Chelsea or something. So it's just, right. there's we, we, we can't make heads or tails of it. So to have a strong opinion about what's occurring to him makes no sense. And most of the reports, as always happens with shit like this, was just a lot of conjecture from people online and people writing tweets writing tweets like they were actual fact you know people being like he was arrested on the spot I was like was that true I don't think so you know so let's just wait till all this unfolds although I will say in a maddening turn of events he has hired Jen Shaw's attorney to represent him so, he, I guess he is funny. I mean, what's going on there? <laughs> I guess he's guilty. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> he's guilty. Um, and it, it it reeks of Jed Shawness too, because when he was released from custody, he was wearing a hat that said "Freedom" on it, and I'm like, oh, all right, this is from the Jen Shaw from the Johnny Depp playbook of like, how do I paint myself as a victim? Right. right Freedom. Right, right. Tough, tough. Come on. Wonderful Were George really- Michael song, but I don't like it in the context here. Yeah. <laughs> I only like Freedom in 1991. <laughs> the song is actually whatever- called Freedom 90, but go ahead. Mm. Mm. Was it? <laughs> <laughs> Sassy or was about Freedom nothing? 90 the 13th Amendment? Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, I've been put in my place, and by in my place, I mean I'm quitting. <laughs> Actually, the 13th Amendment was the original demo for Freedom 90. Just you know? word salad. Um, You're just spitting backwards up, down. Well, Harriet Tubman was the original supermodel. Oh, my God. <laughs> P- picture her luxuriating in the bathtub. <laughs> Listening Sorry, Without Nikki Prejudice, Minaj. volume one. Yeah. Sorry, Nicki Minaj. She was wearing a sparkly crown when she was taking the slaves <laughs> to freedom. <laughs> I can't believe that quote still gets play on this. <laughs> It's too amazing. All right. We're uh, a wordsmith, yeah. to be honest. She, she really is. Anyway, that's our show this week. Shout out to Jasmine Savoy Brown for being generally fantastic. Yeah, we just love her. Yeah. Uh, and we'll see you next week. 
Don't forget to follow us at Cricket Media on Instagram and Twitter. And subscribe to Keep It on YouTube for access to full episodes and other exclusive content. Plus, if you're as opinionated as we are, consider dropping us a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. Keep It is a Crooked Media production. Our senior producer is Kendra James. Our producer is Chris Lord. And our associate producer is Malcolm Whitfield. Our executive producers are Ira Madison III, that's me, and Louis Vertel. This episode was recorded and mixed by Evan Sutton. Thank you to our digital team, Matt DeGroote, Nar Malconian, and Delon Villanueva for production support every week. And as always, Keep It is filmed in front of a live studio audience.